PFG Private Wealth Management LLC is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. The topics and information discussed during this podcast are not intended to provide tax or legal advice. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed on this podcast. Past performance is not indicative of future performance. Insurance products and services are offered and sold through individually licensed and appointed insurance agents. The rules of retirement have changed. No longer can most of us rely on Social Security or a single pension to fund our futures. We're living longer and retirement doesn't just last a handful of years anymore. Instead, you might stay retired for 20 or 30 years and maybe even more. We need to look at retirement through a new lens with fresh eyes, with a new approach and plan of attack. Here to answer the call are financial advisors John Texera and Nick McDevitt of PFG Private Wealth Management, serving you throughout the Tampa Bay area. This podcast is Retirement Planning Redefined, and it starts right now. Hey, everybody. Welcome into the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of Retirement Planning Redefined with John and Nick as we talk investing, finance, and retirement. And we are going to discuss the great resignation on this podcast. And if you're not familiar with that, well, that's all been all the mass exodus of people leaving work over the last uh, three to four to five months. We've got some interesting key takeaways here to talk a little bit about this. Droves of workers retiring early or taking a break as they consider this uh, career path. It's been called now the great resignation. And there's a Forbes article. We'll we'll probably take a link and, and put that in the show notes as well. But Guys, what's going on? How you doing, Nick? Good, good. Staying busy, kind of getting uh, rocking and rolling to to uh, start off the new year. So, you know, I think uh, a month or two ago, we had hoped that maybe it'd be a little less chaotic from the standpoint of uh, the whole pandemic thing. But, you know, I think everybody's just kind of plugging away and recovering from the holidays. Yeah, definitely. John, how you doing, my friend? I'm good. I'm good. Um, doing good. Yeah. Nothing, nothing too crazy going on into the new year. All right. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, quiet, so just hung out with family locally here and in, in uh, you know Tampa area. So it was uh, just a nice little break. And um, you know, like Nick said, kind of excited to be back. Uh, you know, back back to doing some work here. And uh, you know, the holidays it's always nice, but at the same time, it's it's I'm kind of ready to get back at it. Yeah, exactly. So, have you guys heard this term, the Great Resignation? Are you guys a little bit aware of this, or, and what's your thoughts? We'll get into it here, some data here in just a second, but just have you curious if you've heard it or not. Yeah, I definitely have. I think it's interesting. You know, it's, uh, I think depending upon who you talk to, their interpretation of it is uh, a little bit different, but, yeah. you know, in, in my mind, it's, it's really, it's kind of, you know, um, to kind of think about it from the perspective is almost like a real estate market. Um, you know, there's a buyer's market and there's a seller's market. And I think that really what's happened is not all, but many companies have been slow to kind of improve wages and and pay and benefits and things like that. And so this has kind of put things into um, kind of the workers' hands a little bit more and given them a little bit of leverage from the perspective of, uh, competitiveness from a company standpoint. Um, and that obviously that doesn't deal with the people that are in between or, or waiting to kind of 
you know, figure out what they want to do with their whole life, you know, that sort of thing, but more specifically um, the people changing, uh, changing jobs and, and how difficult it's been for employers to keep employees. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely all over the map and John, we're going to talk a little bit about it from the different age groups, but for the most part, we're going to look at it as it affects, you know, retirees and pre-retirees. But uh, have you seen some of this stuff? Are you familiar with it? Not necessarily the term itself, but yeah, we've, we've seen a lot of this. Um, with our own clients that are, you know, basically doing some job changes or right. just outright uh, just retiring early, uh, yeah. which you know, I know, I know we're going to get into, but yeah, we're seeing quite a bit of this. And then, um, you know, we see, we see it when we're trying to, you know, personally and work-wise trying to get service work done. It feels <laughs> oh, yeah. like uh, time. feels like no one's working anymore at my local uh, Dunkin' Donuts here. I can't go in to get a coffee because I don't have enough work or so yep. everything's drive-through, but it and that's part across of it. the board. Yeah. And that's part of it. So you know, a lot of times I think when we think about this, what's happened in the pandemic, we automatically go to the uh, lower paying scale jobs, the fast food type jobs. And that's definitely a big piece. But for an example, 4.2 million people quit their job in October of 2021. So just a couple of months ago, and there's been a lot of other people quitting. So there's been, I think, somewhere now around six, six and a half million, I think, over the last uh, four to four and a half months. And it's not just the lower end stuff. And of course, it's also unknown how long these people will stay out of work. Some of it could be retirees or pre-retirees that are just like, you know what, I'm not going back. I'll I'll use my brother as an example. He's 63 and he's like, as long as they keep me working from home, I'm going to stay. But the minute they tell me I have to go back to the office, I think I'm going to pull the trigger and retire early, even though his plan calls for him to wait till 60, his full retirement age, which I think is like 66 and seven months or something like that. So let's talk about it from that kind of standpoint, guys. I've got three takeaway categories here, or actually four. Uh, I'm going to kind of give you guys the headline and let you guys roll from there a little bit on this. Okay, so we'll dive into it. Hit it however you'd like, not just the you know the, the lower income scale, but also the upper end or people just closer to retirement, things that you might be seeing or hearing. So number one, if you are going to step away early, taking a break from Social Security, whether it's short term, long term or whatever, don't you know, don't sell short that that the impact that that can have to your long-term benefits. So, you know, depending upon how long you are out of work, it's, it's important to keep it into consideration that, you know, when you're not earning an income, you're not building up your social security credits. And um, so that's something that can impact you down the line. And I've actually had this come up a little bit lately where people don't quite grasp the impact, the positive impact of social security or or how much or how important it is to their overall plan. So it is uh it, it is a big deal. And you know, you want to make sure you still have your your 10-year minimum work history. Uh it's important to remember that, you know, really the the benefit that you receive is a cumulative kind of record of of your highest 35 years of of income. Right. So every year that you have, you know, a higher year than a previous year, you know, adjusted for inflation. That's going to knock out the the other years and and you know really kind of help bump that benefit up, right? And, and if you're stepping away in your fifties uh, because of this you know this great resignation type of thing here, that's some prime earning years. So that's where I say you could be you know putting a big dent in that. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know and realistically, it always does kind of go back to the whole plan concept that we really try to harp on people about is we have had some people retire early because we have had a bull market you know, for the last, you know, 10 years and mm-hmm. uh, they've done a good job of saving and, and those sorts of things. But we kind of verified it through the planning, you know, the the whole retire really early on a whim or, 
you know, not really looking at it from an analytical standpoint uh, can definitely be pretty, pretty dangerous. Yeah. For sure. So you definitely want to make sure that if you are stepping away from Social Security, you're looking at what what it could do to your long term strategy. Six months, a year, what, retiring early, whatever the case might be. Just make sure you're strategizing that with your advisor. John, talk to me a little bit about takeaway number two. The 401k isn't a rainy day fund is kind of the category I had because over the last two years and even the last six months, there's some pretty interesting stats about what people are doing with their 401ks. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean. Um during you know COVID 2020, there was some some uh, ability to actually access your 401k funds or retirement funds without any uh, penalty right. um, and not even have to do a loan, and that's that's gone away. So you know now, not that fortunately for our clients, and I think we do a great job educating them. We haven't really seen too much of this where clients are taking out 401k loans, but um, I have had conversations with some individuals that have done that, and it's mm-hmm. just kind of like, hey, you know, how much can I pull from my fund? Um, I did this. What are the impacts of it? You know, so it's it's just important to fall back to the plan, and and we do a you know one of our biggest recommendations to make sure that people have um, an emergency fund, and you know whether it's three to six months or a year of emergency savings, because you know as you know the pandemic hit in 2020, you know, and saw that coming, and you just don't know what's going to happen in the future. So it's important to have an emergency fund to help out in certain situations like this. So you avoid pulling from the 401k loan because you really want to let those assets grow for your retirement and not, not access it for, you know, rainy kind of day funds, gap. things like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. What, what's um, some negative impacts of, of doing that though, John? I think one of the things people get lost on is just the compounding of it over time, right? Yeah. So you, you know, you take out 40, 40 grand out of it, you know, basically, especially let's say you did that in 2020. Um, let's say you took out 40,000 there. You just lost the compounding over the next you know year and a half, two years, that which has been really excellent pretty in reality yeah, with what the market's good, done. Yeah. So not you you're just not losing that forty thousand. You're losing what that forty thousand could have grown to, uh, which is the importance of having, you know, again, the rainy day fund. So you can let that money in there, let that money grow for you and and earn and and work for you. Yeah. Um and then never mind, you know, the then you're paying money back into it that are after tax dollars. So th- there's a lot that goes into it that you really need to evaluate it. Uh, Sometimes it's it's you have to because you have nothing else sure. to pull from, right. but it's always right. important to to plan and make sure that you, you this is the last resort. I hear a lot of advisors say, you know, taking that loan against it is is usually the later, like if it's kind of like the last in the line. If you really need it, okay, here's where we can go, but let's try not to, you know, just simply from a multitude of reasons, especially with the resignation, right? If you take a loan against your 401k and you leave the job, you have to pay that back, correct? <laughs> Yeah, that's a great point that you bring up. Um, you know, most companies will give you 30 days to pay it back. So example, you know, you take out that $40,000 um, and all of a sudden it's, hey, we're we're downsizing and you, know, you get a pink slip and yeah. and not only you got, now you all of a sudden you got to pay 40 grand back to your 401k within, you know, a 30, 30 day period, maybe 60 day period. And if you do not pay it back, you're going to be paying taxes and penalty on that, yeah. on those dollars. Pretty stiff. Um, yeah. 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 So that's another takeaway for that. And Nick, let's stick with the 401k for a minute for the next one. If you are in this kind of nomad thing where you're you're jumping out of one job, you're waiting a bit, maybe going into another, looking for a, you know, a better option for yourself, seeing who's hiring, whatever, you know, whatever the scenario is, take that 401k with you, right? Don't just leave it back behind at the old place. Yeah, you know, it it can be, you know, realistically the more accounts people have, the more places 
the more often things are overlooked, uh, not checked up on, not taken care of, you know, so uh, we definitely are fans of uh, consolidating, you know, whether it's, you know, rolling it into the, the plan at your new employer or rolling it into an IRA where, you know, you can control the assets yourself or work with an advisor to manage them for you. Um, just like so many other things, it's it's one of the things that um, former or past employer 401k plans are, are oftentimes one of the most overlooked and non-adjusted uh, things that that we've seen people uh, kind of uh, not take care of, yeah. and then they lose a lot of long-term money on it uh, because of that. Well, you got to think about the the vested portion too, right? So if it's a uh, you know, let's say you're 50 or something like that, and you're pondering this, make sure that you under you know that you're getting the fully vested part before you jump on. There's some people that could say, well, all right, maybe I'd better stick this out a little longer or whatever the case is. Yeah, absolutely. There are some people that, you know, uh, it's much more common for people to move from one employer to the next uh, these days, especially in certain industries where um, they can be almost more of like a tech role or consultant role, things like that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes because of that, their employer has put in a decent amount of money. So, uh, an employee's contributions are always vested. It's always their money, but they could have substantial um, employer matching that vests over, you know, three to five years or some other sorts of benefits, even if it's not exactly the 401k, but maybe there's a stock plan that has vesting. It's important to take those things into consideration because we've seen people leave, you know, tens of thousands of dollars on the table, right, not right. realizing that it was a factor that they should have taken into consideration before they switched employers. Yeah. Don't leave it behind, right? So definitely take it with you, whether you're rolling it from the old one into the new one. And if you do it properly, it's not going to, it's not an issue, right, Nick? So if you've got it in the old one and you roll it to the new one, you just go through the proper you know, channels and there's no taxable event and so on and so forth. Same thing if you move it to an IRA, correct? Correct. Yeah. The the goal is always to make sure that it's rolled over. It's not taken um, as a lump sum distribution. To yourself. Um, yeah. So yeah. you always want to make sure that when the rollover happens, it gets paid directly to the new custodian. So it's not written out to you. It's written to the new custodian, whether that's a Fidelity or a Vanguard or a, you know whoever it may be, it's paid directly to them. Um, the funds go over and that avoids there being any sort of uh, tax liability or penalty um, if somebody's under the okay. age of 59 and a half. All right. So let's go to the fourth takeaway here, guys. I'll let you both kind of jump in and out on this. John, I'll start with you. It seems like this whole resignation thing is kind of tailor-made for those early retirement dreamers. Go, kind of go back to my brother's conversation there about, well, if they, you know, I'll, I'll retire a couple of years early if they make me go back to the office kind of thing, but I, I'll work from home. So it's enticing for sure, but point out some challenges to just ponder. If you are retiring early ahead of what you originally planned, you guys kind of divide up a few of these if you would, but John, go ahead and start with a couple of bullet points to think about. Yeah. One of the things to think about is, you know, qualifying for social security. Um, you know, the, the earliest you can draw social security is age 62. So, um, you know, if you're retiring at, let's just call it 57, you know, you got a, a decent gap of where you can't take any social security. So you really have to evaluate, you know, are there any other income sources coming in like a pension or maybe some real estate income or, or whatever it might be. Um, and then if there isn't, is your nest egg able to sustain, you know, your, your, your plans? Years, yeah. Yeah, is able to yeah. work if you're using your nest egg to, to basically live off of for that period of time. Um, so those are one of the things. And then you always want to look at, you know, as one, we've had situations where 
one spouse might retire early and the other one's still working. They say, hey, you know, we could live off of uh, just one income for the time being. And if we need any extra money, we have a nest egg that we can pull from as needed. Um, so that would be a big one to really look at. Um, another one that uh, we come across quite often is healthcare coverage. Um, I'd say one of the main reasons that that people don't retire, uh, from our standpoint, what we see is really uh, healthcare. Um, so they wait till they're uh, 65 so they can draw on Medicare. And prior to that, they just kind of look at the cost of um, you know going to the marketplace and say, you know what, this is this is probably a little too rich for my blood. <laughs> so yeah. um, and you, know, you kind of hold off. If you use your example of 57, I mean, you're talking eight years. What are you doing in that gap, right? Yeah. And and we've seen, you know, everyone's situation is different and what their premium is, but I've seen some premiums for an individual at that age at, you know, $10,000, $11,000 per year, uh, never mind the coverage isn't as good. So that's another thing where- per, Per person too, right? So you and the spouse. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So that's, that's per person. Can your retirement accounts handle that for that, you know, that setup that we just talked about or whatever the case might be. And then realizing that that's also that, your retirement is now going to be longer, right? Because you've retired early. So it's the kind of the great multiplier. So those things just kind of compound and go up from there. Uh, Nick, do you agree with that? And what's some things you see? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, it, it's definitely a, a slippery slope when you start to factor in, you know, we've got some clients who's, you know, who work for large employers, their their total health premiums for the household, you know, can run two to $3,000 a year for for both of them. So when you go and you take, you know, you go from two to 3000 for both of you while you're working to, you know, somewhere between eight and $20,000 a year uh, before Medicare age, it can be pretty substantial. And, you know, oftentimes for many people, there's going to be a price increase even when they're on Medicare from, you know, if you were working for a company that was a larger employer and had pretty inexpensive health benefits. So that makes a huge, huge difference. And you know, one way that some people have managed things um, from that perspective are uh, with some of the marketplace options out there. Um, we'll we'll kind of connect people with specialists that can help on the on the medical uh, insurance side of things, and and you may be able to take money from taxable accounts that don't have large gains to put your income lower so that you don't pay as much. But in reality, to be frank. You know, usually the only people that can do that are ones that have saved substantial amount of money into a non-qualified account, which usually means they have a lot of money. So, you know, it's less of an issue. So, you know, really looking at that, looking at um, the different types of accounts when you create your withdrawal rate um, and figuring out, you know, hey, how can we keep your your income taxes uh, low, not only for a short period of time when you're in retirement, but kind of build in flexibility throughout your retirement where you're not just letting this tax bomb grow mm-hmm. or you're not using all of your Roth money first or leaving it all for the end. It's, you know, it's usually kind of a, a bit of a balance. So we harp on it a lot, but this is really where there's so many factors and things like this, that this is where kind of software and, and the, the tech tools that we have today really help us kind of tailor make a plan um, come up with a really good income and liquidation strategy, you know, help us figure out, you know, what kind of gaps are we going to have between the time that you retire and when things like social security are going to kick in to help supplement the income. And then when Medicare is going to kick in to help, uh, reduce expenses. So, um, you know, it's, it's definitely a, a puzzle and, you know, fortunately we enjoy 
putting the pieces together. <laughs> right. Well, you know, look, if you're if you're on the fence, if you uh, well, if you already did the res, you know, resigned and, and walked away, hopefully you had a plan in place. But if you're not, if you're so, uh, among some of those folks that are still considering, I, I've heard some interesting nat- stats that they think that's going to happen uh, again early on the first half of 2022. Make sure you're talking with an advisor about, you know, all the different things that could happen if you do step away early. Most people hopefully do, but sometimes, you know, you just get frustrated or whatever the case is. And a lot of it does have to do with this kind of going back to work, staying working from home. It got good to us. We really kind of, you know, uh, in some ways very much so enjoy being able to work from home. In other ways, we kind of miss the camaraderie. So there's a lot of different things to just kind of take into account before you pull the great resignation. And with that, we're going to wrap it up this week. We're going to knock out an email question here real fast, whichever one of you guys want to tackle this. But we've got one from Rebecca who said, uh, guys, every six months or so, I tell myself I need to start saving more for retirement and I pretend like I'm going to get serious and actually do it. But then I can't stay motivated to increase my savings. I'm putting a decent amount in the 401k and I have a pretty nice balance there, but it feels like I could be doing more. It's the beginning of the year. I want to be more motivated. How do I do it? Yeah, this comes up quite a bit. And I'd say the easiest way to save is, is probably the 401k because it's done through payroll. And, and you really, you know, once you start saving into there, you really don't miss the the money coming out into it. Um, and you can always adjust it. And we've had some people where they say, hey, I'm putting enough into my 401k. You know, what else should I do? And and the the first step is just really just set up setting up an account. And you can start with as little as $25 a month or $50 a month. But once that account's open, it's much easier just to say, hey, let me up this. So I, I would say the first step is, you know, look at the 401k. And, and if you don't want to continue contributing to that, um, you just open up an account somewhere um, with your advisor or, or on your own and, and just set it up monthly. And then you can always adjust it as needed. Yeah. Or maybe a Roth, right? If she wants to look at a tax, uh, something more tax efficient. So yep. it's another way to look at it. But yeah, I think if you automate it and you just put it in play, Rebecca, that should hopefully get you, you know, you just, if you don't see it, and you don't think about it and it's just happening in the background and that's the beauty of it. So then you don't have to worry about necessarily getting motivated. But another way might be to sit down with a professional and start uh, getting some advice. It doesn't matter really on your age, the sooner the better. So if you got questions, need some help, reach out to John and Nick, go to the website, pfgprivatewealth.com. That's pfgprivatewealth.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you like to use, Apple, Google, Spotify, iHeart, Stitcher. Just type in Retirement Planning Redefined or, again, just find it all at their website, pfgprivatewealth.com. If you got questions, need some help, John and Nick are here for you. Guys, thanks for hanging out. I appreciate it. Talk to me about the uh, the great resignation. And I'll, we'll talk about it in a couple of weeks here. We'll see what's going on. Thanks, Mark. Thanks. I appreciate your time as always, guys. Thanks for hanging out with me. We'll see you next time here on the podcast. With John and Nick, this is Retirement Planning Redefined.